Good morning, North Canton Chapel. It's good to be with you today. My name is Micah Hasty. I'm the Associate Pastor of Worship here. And it is an honor to open up God's Word with you, to stand on the stage, and to help us to worship Jesus better by seeing His Word rightly and by responding accordingly. Now, you know, I think I say something like that just about every time I stand up to speak. And I need you to know it's 100% true. I love you, I love being here in this space, and it's just good to be back with you. Thank you, many of you texted me or messaged me. Uh, I had the flu a few weeks ago, and so I was down for the count, and Larry and the team just did an incredible job uh, leading us in worship over the last few weeks. Uh, But it's really good to be back in this space with you. Uh, So before we begin, uh, we're gonna be in Luke chapter 21. We're gonna flip around a little bit today. Today is the last week of our series called Resolutions. And we are wrapping up the series with the topic of treasures. So go ahead and turn to Luke 21. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, uh, there should be one under the seat in front of you. That is our gift to you today. If you don't have one of your own, please take that with you. But before we start, let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. That you are the giver of every good and perfect thing. God, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would help us to see your word rightly, and that by your Holy Spirit, you would guide us, lead us, and call us into obedience today. It is in your name that we pray, amen. Well, it was an Easter Sunday, and I was about 12 or 13 years old, and I had come downstairs and walked into the kitchen and saw, I saw my Easter basket sitting there on the table. Now, at 12 or 13, I was a little bit old enough to start questioning the validity of said bunny and his goodies, but I was not too proud to take part in them. So I began to examine this Easter basket as I had most Easter's before, and I began to open these neon plastic eggs, and as I started to open them, this Easter was a little different. Because normally where I would find chocolate or gummy worms or something like that, these eggs had money. They had dollar bills. And as a 12 or 13 year old kid, when I started opening up plastic eggs and there's money in there, I was pretty excited. I thought I was rolling. And, uh, and so I began to open these up and I still rem- remember that morning as a 12 or 13 year old kid feeling this money burn holes in my pockets. And instantly I started thinking about, oh, I could go to, the, go to the store and get this video game. I started thinking through all these different things. And that morning, my mom and dad sat down at the kitchen table, and I had enough sense to know that either my mom and dad had talked to said Easter Bunny, or something had transpired to help this blessing of glory to happen on this Easter morning. And I learned pretty quickly that my mom wanted to teach me something. And so she sat down and began to talk to me about this money. See, there were 10 eggs that morning that each had a dollar bill in it. And so my mom laid out the $10 in front of me and she took one of those dollars and she set it aside. And she said, Micah, this is 10% of the $10. For those of you who don't math, I'm breaking this down. Me too, I don't math either. Uh, So $1, 10% of $10, feeling good with me? Okay, that's about as much math as we're doing all morning. So if that's it, you're good, anxiety drops. So she set this aside, and she goes, this is the first dollar you received. This one you set aside for the Lord. 
So she set that down and said, this is what you're gonna give the church. And then she pulled in another one and she said, this is the 10% that you're gonna save. And so you're gonna put that away and you're gonna save it for a later day. And then these other $8, you can do whatever you wanna do with. And I remember thinking, but I want all $10. (laughs) My mom was teaching me some basics about money. And as a kid, I I needed to learn that. At one point or another, all of us need to learn some basic truths about how money works and how to be responsible with it. But what I believe about what scripture says about money is that my mom was teaching me just the very base surface level of what God has to say when it comes to our finances and when it comes to our money. And so we're gonna begin today by looking in Luke chapter 21. We're gonna start in verse one. We're going verses one through four. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put two small copper, put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So what we learn right out of the gate in this passage is that giving doesn't necessarily seem to be tied to a percentage. So as we look, we have two sets of people. We have the rich and we have the poor widow. And it's interesting that these two peoples are noted. So first we have the rich who are putting their gifts into the offering box. This is a good thing. They're taking part of their worship, but it says something interesting about their gifts. It says that they gave out of their abundance, out of their leftovers. It was almost an afterthought. And then you have this poor widow, not a blue collar widow, not a rich widow, poor widow, a direct contrast to the rich who walks over and takes all that she has, her two pennies, and she puts them in the box. She doesn't give out of her abundance because she doesn't have abundance. She doesn't give out of her leftovers because she doesn't know what that is. She gives out of everything that she has. So the text says all she had to live on. So church, in this passage, let me ask you a question. Who gave the rich their abundance? God did. And who gave the poor widow her two pennies? God did. Now, regardless of your economic status in this room, church, who has given you what you have? God has. The psalmist describes God as the owner of all things. If you look with me in Psalm chapter 50, we're gonna begin in verse seven. It says, hear, O people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. I love this next part. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and all its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? 
Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. The world and all its fullness are mine. If I could, I'd like to reread this passage. I'm gonna contextualize it for 2020. Okay, so this is the Micah Andrews Standard Version. It has not been vetted by a ton of scholars, so hang in there with me, okay? I think we're gonna get the point, though. Listen, my people, and I will speak to you. I hold your sin against you as I know your hearts. I am God, your God, the only God. I don't condemn you for what you give. You put money in the offering box at the back of the sanctuary weekly, but do you really believe that I need that money? Do you believe that you're doing me favors or helping me out? Every ounce of wealth on this planet is mine. Everything that you earned, you haven't earned. I've given it to you. Do you think that for some reason, if I needed a loan, that I would come to you? All you have is mine. All the money, all the assets, all the pleasures of the world that I have created for you to enjoy, they are all mine. Rather than giving out of obligation, I'd love if you would simply say, thank you. I'd love if rather than worship the blessings that I've given you, that you would, would, that you would worship me as the one who has blessed you. Give back out of your love for me. Call upon me, trust in my sovereignty, hope in my generosity when you are in trouble because I love to help my children. You know, there's an Adventist phrase called the returning of tithes. And I like that phrase. It's often used in connection with the church and giving. And it's used in this way and the general idea is that we return our tithes because it believes that as scripture teaches the world and all its fullness are God's. And so, if everything belongs to God, if he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, then we don't own the cattle, we get to use them. So when we give, we are returning to God what he has given us to borrow and to steward. The purpose, I think, of Jesus pointing out this scenario in Luke 21, to kind of go back there, where he looks at the rich and the widow, he's ultimately pausing, and he's having us to reflect on both the sovereignty of God and the surrender of our hearts. Because ultimately, I believe that's what giving is about. It's about trusting in the sovereignty of God, and it's about surrendering our hearts to him. Since God doesn't need our money, if he owns it all, why do we give? Well, if we look in Malachi 3.10, we see that God calls his people in a sense of obedience to tithing. He says to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that first 10% of the harvest into the storehouse. And this had a twofold purpose. Okay, first, again, it focused on God as the giver of all things, and so it returns what is his back to him. It says, God, I trust you more with this 10% than I trust me. Okay, so it's I'm trusting God with this. And the second is that God had used this as a way to help provide for his people in times of trouble. 
What was the storehouse? It's the place where the food and the harvest could be stored away. And those who were in charge of the storehouse would do one of two things. Either one, they would use it as offerings to God. Or two, they would save what was left so that when God decided, hey, my people need this, they were able to use it. We also give because it helps us to forward kingdom purposes. The Apostle Paul writes about this, and he writes in 2 Corinthians 9. Go ahead and turn there if you would. I told you we were moving around in here a little bit this morning. Thanks for hanging with me. 2 Corinthians 9, and we're going to begin in verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift that you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Church, as we hear this passage, it should give us a sense of peace and a sense of rest. Because what this means is that ultimately you have been blessed with exactly what God wants to entrust you with of his to steward. Whether you make triple digits or you live paycheck to hopeful paycheck, everything you have is given to you by God. And so what you do with those resources, what you do with your treasures, how we steward them, it is either one, an act of worship, or two, an act of sinful disobedience. The amount of money or the resources that you have is not a matter of spiritual concern. What you do with what God has given you to steward is a matter of spiritual concern. Let me say that again. The amount of money or resources that you have been blessed with is not a matter of spiritual concern. What you do with what God has given you, that is the matter of spiritual concern. Jesus would say it this way. He would say, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Charles Spurgeon once said, a golden coffin will be a poor compensation for a damned soul. Church, our treasure is often where our faith hits the road. Where we spend our treasure is ultimately an indicator of where our allegiances lie in terms of our time and our talents. It's been said that often if you follow your calendar and your checkbook, you can find what you truly worship. Some of us for too long have worshiped at the altars of sporting events, Netflix and Starbucks. 
Now, are any of those things bad on their own? No, they're not. But when we elevate the things that we have been blessed with above the spot that they need to be, when we hold on to our treasures more than we hold on to Jesus, my friends, we are sinning. We have made idols and we have worshiped creation rather than creator. We must remember that our treasures are not our treasures. They are gifts to us from the God who is more faithful than the morning sun. And when we return to God what is his, when we trust him with it, we are not giving out of obligation. The scripture tells us today that we're to give out of a cheerful heart that we are to give what the Spirit has placed in our hearts, the desire that we have to give, not out of exaction, not, out of, not under compulsion, but because of our love for Jesus, because we can look at God and say, he gave the greatest treasure he ever had to us in the form of his son, then our response is, you have any treasure you want, God. It is all yours. You know, we have an opportunity next week. We've talked about it the last three weeks. But to partner with Habitat for Humanity, to take inventory of our blessings, and to say, God, what have you given me that I could bless someone else with? What do I have that maybe I don't really need that someone else might actually need? And so as you are prayerfully considering those things, And as we look at this text, I think all of us must respond with, God, with what you have given me as treasures, what do you want me to give away? What is it that you need me to give away? Luke's account of this interaction in in Luke 21, it also reminds us that giving for us should never be an afterthought. See, there's a ton of ways that you can give here at the North Canton Chapel. You can give in the offering boxes in the back of the room. You can give online. There's, there's a ton of ways that you can give. But what I would encourage you to do is give in a way that it causes you to think about it. Because as we look at the rich and we look at the poor widow, when it says that she gave everything she had to live on, what she was trusting God with was not just her money. She was also trusting him to fill her belly, to provide for her, to give her protection. It says that she gave all that she had. May we give with that level of trust where we look to God and we say, God, this is an act of my worship. This is not mine, it is yours. And so when you put offering in the offering box in the back or however you give, use it as an act of worship. Use it as a moment to reflect on the blessings that God has given you. Use it as a moment of thankfulness and of praise. You know, my wife Kristen and I, we resolved early on in our marriage that giving was always going to be a part of what we did. And I don't know if it started back on that Easter basket Sunday morning or what it was, but it was always just a part of, of what we were gonna do. And sometimes it didn't make a lot of sense, and if I'm honest, for a long time I was Again, I said I don't math well. I still don't math well, and so it's really good that she does. Um, And so it's just always been this thing where we have prayerfully considered, God, what do you want for us to give? And so we started at 10%, and we've gradually increased that as God has led us. 
And what you need to know is that as a pastor here, I am also a member here. And so I give to the North Canton Chapel because I believe in what God is doing here. And I believe that as we are faithful to what God calls us to, in 20 and 25 years when my daughters are adults in this place with children of their own, hopefully, that they will be able to look around and say, God is faithful. But that only happens if we step up and take God's word seriously. You know, Kristen and I, again, we, we've always tried to make giving part of what we do. And there is this one season in our lives when we were at a church that had a stewardship campaign and they were raising funds to build onto the campus where I was a worship leader. And our lead pastor had asked us to all pray as to what we would give toward this campaign. And this was gonna go above and beyond uh, our offerings. And so Kristen and I prayed and we kind of came up with a number and we said, this is gonna be our pledge number. We're gonna do this. And we had this night where we were gonna all get together. There was a pledge night. We were gonna pray through these things and turn them in. And our lead pastor, he said something in that meeting that has always stuck with me. See, we wrote down this number and we felt really good about it. But he described his own life and his own faith. He said, you know, whenever God has truly stretched me in my faith, it has always been when I have trusted him with my money. And he goes, here's what I know. If you have a number written down that you feel really good about and you feel safe about, it's probably not the right number. Now, he wasn't saying that to try to get me to give more. He was saying that, and he said it rightly, because he knew that I wasn't exacting much faith. I wasn't truly trusting God with what he was calling me to give. I just kind of found a spot in my extra, in my leftovers that was going to work. And so Kristen and I wrote down a number that night that was larger than what we came in with, and I still remember the sweat pouring off my head, because I'm going like... God, you have to do this. This doesn't make sense. In the next about nine months of that campaign were some of the craziest months that I think we have ever experienced financially. See, we had a home in Virginia, that, a town home that we had renters in, and they left, and so we ended up with a double mortgage payment for about nine months. Uh, the HVAC unit in the home that we were renting went out. We had a flood in the home that we were renting. And it was like financial hit after hit after hit after hit. And we're going, I thought we were going to be good. Like, what's going on here? Like, we're giving. Isn't this all supposed to work out? And, you know, what was cool is that God just proved himself faithful over and over and over again. We had a small group in our, in our church that had heard about the flood damage that raised money and gave it to uh, our landlords to help pay for those damages that happened during the flood. We had a job offer come through for Kristen that she didn't even really know was gonna come through and God provided a second job during that time. And the crazy thing is, like in a season where we should have been really stressed financially, I don't remember feeling that stressed financially. And it might be because I don't math well and Kristen's better at that stuff. But the reality is God just proved faithful. We got to the end of that year and we're, we're just going, man, I would go through all of this again because God just proved himself so good. And now hear me, um, this is not a prosperity gospel. And I need to speak to this because it can sound that way hearing a story like that. Well, hey, you gave and God just proved faithful. He blessed you guys. Prosperity gospel would say this. 
it would say that if I give to God and I'm faithful and obedient, then God must bless me. That is a perversion of biblical truth. We read it already this morning. God loves to bless his children. He loves to bless us, but he is not required to do anything based on what we do. God blesses us out of his grace, out of his love, but whether you're putting millions of dollars or two pennies in the back offering boxes, he is not required to do anything. The reward in giving to God is God himself. It is growing in our faith and our trust in him. See, God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And the thing that he knows you need the most is himself. And just from my own family's experiences with money, I'll tell you this, sometimes it doesn't make sense on paper. Sometimes it was scary. But I, wouldn't, I have never, ever regretted trusting God with our treasures, ever. You know, that Easter Sunday, my mom began to teach me a little bit about money. But I think it was just scratching the surface. She got me started, she got my feet wet, but if I'm honest, for a long time, I gave out of obligation. And honestly, I gave because my mom told me to give. It took a long time for me to realize and to come to a place where I gave out of a heart that just loved Jesus and that recognized God as the giver of all good things. You know, for one season of my life during college, I was once challenged to give what I would spend on coffee for a month. That was a really hard month. Um, but if that helps you, just do it. Because what we've learned, again, is it's not about the amount that you give. It's the heart behind it. And if you've never given, maybe you start with two pennies. Maybe you do a coffee challenge. Maybe you start at 10%. But the point is not how much you give. It is the heart behind it. It is recognizing the sovereignty of God. And it is surrendering your heart and saying, God, you can do better with this than I can on my own. I trust you. Church, may our hearts and our wallets be ever more sanctified to the image of Jesus. May we always become more and more like him. May we stop seeking after temporary treasures and instead seek after the greatest treasure of all. May we freely give because we have a God who freely gave to us in the person and work of Jesus. I love that quote. A golden coffin will be a poor compensation for a damned soul. Your hearse will not be pulling a trailer full of your possessions at your funeral. That would be very odd. You can't take it with you. So if we can't take it with us, why not give back to the one who will never fade? This morning I've asked the team to come and lead us in a song of reflection. It's a song called My Reward and really what this song sings, it's the same thing this series has been pointing us to this entire time. It declares Jesus as our reward above all else. 
It says that he is our first in our time, he is first in our talents, and he is first in our treasure. And it calls us to realize the fact that everything is his and that we can gain nothing in this world that holds a candle to his glory. He is our reward. He is what we live for. And so normally what we would do during this time is they sing and we stand and we sing together, but I'd like for us to do something a little bit different this morning. I would like for, as they sing, for you to sit and to reflect on these words and to consider, are these things really true of my heart? Is Jesus my reward above all else? Do I hold on to my treasure like this, or do I hold on to it like this? So maybe as they sing during this time, you need to pull that I Resolve sticker out of your worship guide, and you need to pray and say, God, what is it with my treasures that I need to resolve to, to get this thing right? Maybe you need to rally up with your family. You need to circle up and pray together and say, God, with the ways that you have blessed us, how can we bless others? Or maybe you pray quietly on your own. And you say, Jesus, just help me to surrender more of this. Because if I'm honest, treasure can be this sticky thing, can't it? Right? Like, you hear that we're talking about money on a Sunday morning, you may not have invited a new friend today, right? But I think we do that because we often hold money so, so closely to our hearts instead of surrendering it to Jesus the way that we should. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, during this time, would you guide us? Would you lead us in a way that helps us to surrender more and more of our hearts to you? God, let us see our treasures rightly, not as things that we have earned, but as things that you have given us. Let us see you rightly as a God who loves us and desires to bless us out of your grace and your love. Let us not worship temporary things, but let us go after you, Jesus, with all that we are. In the ways that we do not have the strength or the courage to trust you with this on our own, would you please fill those gaps? Would this song be true? That you are our reward, that you are everything we are living for. Amen.